Irma Bombeck wrote, an estimated one and a half million people are living today after bouts with breast cancer. Every time I forget to feel grateful to be among them, I hear the voice of an eight-year-old named Christina, who had cancer of the nervous system. When asked what she wanted for her birthday, she thought long and hard and finally said, I don't know, I have two sticker books and a Cabbage Patch doll. I have everything. The kid is right. If there was anyone who deserved a pass to wish for anything she wanted, it would be Christina. And if we're being honest with ourselves, most would have a difficult time finding much to be grateful for in the midst of such a diagnosis. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I just thank God that I've lost my job and I don't know how I'm going to make it to next week and pay my bills? That would be ridiculous. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. It says in scripture that we're to be thankful in all circumstances. But does God really expect us to give thanks in every situation, even when we don't see anything for which to be grateful? Charles Tapp examines what God really expects of us and how to live a life full of gratitude with his message, the gospel of thanksgiving. When I was a child, my mother would always insist that whenever someone would do something nice for our family, whether we thought it was big or whether it was small, that our immediate response would be with two simple but yet powerful words. And you know what those two words are, simply thank you. Not only was she insistent that we respond in this way, but she also was insistent that we respond in a very timely fashion. You see, her thinking was that if someone took the time and thought enough of you to do something nice for you, then the least that we could do was to respond by simply saying thank you. But why in our culture today do we have such a difficult time with saying thank you? when someone does something nice for us. Why is that so hard for so many of us? A few weeks ago, I was walking in a store and as I was going in, opened the door to walk through the, through the door, this gentleman was walking behind me, so I decided to hold the door open for him. Now, he wasn't disabled or anything like that. Matter of fact, he wasn't a senior citizen. He was younger than me. But I just thought it would be nice to open the door and hold it open for him. So he walked past me, walked through the door, didn't even make eye contact with me, didn't even nod to say, I appreciate that, and didn't say a word. He just walked right past me and I stood there paralyzed. Because in my mind, the least that he could do in response to my kind gesture was to simply say, thank you. In our modern age in which we live, proper etiquette demands that we take time and make the effort to express our thankfulness. So when someone goes out of their way for us, that's exactly what we should do. And what's at its core of this whole thing is that when you receive a gift, whether it's an object, whether it's an experience, whether it's some tangible or intangible thing like for forgiveness or support, that the least that you and I can do is simply say thank you. 
according to the experts in proper etiquette. One of the main challenges that many of us have in this area, besides the initial response of saying thank you, is timing in which we do it. Of course, the thank you at any time is better than no thank you at all, but proper etiquette says that when someone does something for you in the next few days, you should respond with a simple thank you. And it's so easy to do it today. You can email them, you can text them, you can tweet them, you can Facebook them, you can do a whole lot of things. So you would think it would be easy for us to say thank you because that's the least that we can do. But is giving thanks the least that we can really do? And I'm saying this because I don't think that thank you should be considered as being least. Because somehow it minimizes the very magnitude of not only the initial act, but it also minimizes the magnitude of those powerful words, thank you. After all, when we express our thankfulness, we are expressing our gratitude for what has been done in our behalf. But does this hold true when it comes to God. Scripture makes it clear that we are to give thanks in every situation. But does God honestly expect us to express gratitude when we don't really see anything for which to be grateful? Now let's just be honest this morning. This time of year can be extremely challenging for a great many people in many regards. For it is during this time of year where many feel pressured to feel thankful, even though when they survey the landscape of their lives, all they see is a desert wasteland. For many, this season calls up all kinds of memories of loss and even memories of disappointment and rejection. Sure, for some people, this time is a time of of fellowship and a time of family and a time of food and a time for friends. But what about the countless others that when this time rolls around, it's a time for loneliness and despair, even within the body of Christ? This being the case, what are we to do with the admonishment given in the passage that was read earlier in our scripture reading. Let's go back there for a moment to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we just take a look at a couple of those verses, verses 16 to verse 18. Look at what it says. Rejoice, how? Always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give what? Thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In this portion of Paul's letter to the church at Thessalonica, he gives a series of admonitions that should be adhered to. And when you look at them carefully, it's almost like Paul is giving them a prescription to what makes a healthy church. He starts off by saying, respect those leaders that that God has placed over you. To live in peace with those around you. Don't be so critical. Don't be so divisive. Then he says, 
be careful for those who are lazy and admonish them to get to work. And Paul here is not talking about everyday run-of-the-mill laziness. Paul is talking about those who refuse to work because they believe that Jesus was coming soon, so they didn't see any need to get to work. Paul says, help those among you who are weak spiritually. Help them to, to carry the load, to carry the burden. Then he says, exercise patience, which is a fruit of the Spirit. But then in verse 15 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, he says this, always pursue what is good, not just for yourselves, but for all. And in essence, Paul is saying, this is the kind of behavior that we of the body of Christ should exhibit, not just within the body itself, but he says, we should exhibit this kind of behavior to those who are outside the body of Christ as well. But then suddenly and without warning, Paul drops this proverbial bomb on his audience, both past and present, when he says, rejoice or be joyful always, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. Now what makes Paul's admonitions so challenging to the point of almost being disturbing is not the fact that we are being asked to be joyful or that we're being admonished to pray or being admonished to give thanks, but it's the qualifiers that he has attached to each one of these admonitions. He doesn't just say rejoice, but he says you should be joyful always. He doesn't just say we should pray, but he says we should pray without ceasing. He doesn't just say that you and I should give thanks, but he qualifies it. He said, give thanks in everything. Now, let's just be serious for a moment. Who do you know that feels like rejoicing all the time? Who feels like praying all the time? Who feels like giving thanks all of the time? Newsflash, not me. But then he adds and closes with these definitive words, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul, why did you have to end with that? For this is God's will, not a suggestion for the church, but he says this is God's will for the body of Christ. And when you examine closely, you begin to see that Paul is not ascribing a set of rules for the church to keep, but he is simply showing us the behavior that epitomizes one who worships God. So when he says be joyful always, he's not talking about what's based on the exterior. Paul is talking about an inner attitude of being joyful all the time. And it is a choice, not a feeling. So when he says pray always, you know he's not talking about praying 24-7, but he's talking about living in an attitude where you and I recognize that wherever we go, wherever we do, whatever we do, we are always in the presence of God. So be mindful of that because prayer is simply establishing relationship and maintaining that relationship. But then Paul says, give thanks in all things. Now let's be clear. He isn't saying that we should give thanks for all things, for that would be crazy. That would be ludicrous. Because how many of you know someone who is thanking God for the cancer that they've been diagnosed with? How many of you have ever heard someone thank God because of the spouse 
who gives them abuse on a daily basis. How many of you have ever heard someone say, I just thank God that I've lost my job and I don't know how I'm going to make it to next week and pay my bills. That would be ridiculous. He is not saying that we should thank God for all things, but what Paul is saying, and he makes it very clear, that as believers, we should thank God in the midst of all things. Amen? And there's a difference between in and for. So when you read Paul's epistles, you continue to see this recurring theme, whether it's in Galatians, whether it's in Philippians, Romans, wherever it is, Ephesians, of giving thanks. And one of the major challenges you and I face as Christians, which tend to serve as a barrier preventing us from fully experiencing a life of thankfulness and gratitude, is that we tend to focus more on our current conditions rather than on our future reality. Look at what the writer to the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12 as we look at verses 1 and verse 2. He says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, lay aside what? Every weight and the what? Sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is what? Set before you. But look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto whom? In other words, he's saying Christ is our example when it comes to this situation. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, here it is, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of what? The throne of God. The writer to the Hebrews makes it clear here that what enabled Christ to endure the shame to endure the pain, to endure the cross itself, listen, was not the fact that Jesus' focus was on the cross, but it's almost like he transported himself past the cross to the point where he was with his father and looking at all that his sacrifice would accomplish for you and for me, that was the joy that helped him to endure the cross. So he wasn't thanking God for the cross. He was thanking his father in the midst of the cross because he looked beyond the cross. And here's what the Bible and God's word is calling us to do. When it comes to this world and the challenges that we face, too many times we do exactly what the world does. Our focus is on the external, those things that we see, and that's human to a certain degree. But Paul says that if we're going to experience joy, if we're going to be able to thank God in all things, we have to look beyond all things and begin to focus on what Christ and the cross has done for us. He describes it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at it, 2 Corinthians 5, 6, and 7. So we always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. In other words, he's saying as long as I'm in this body, I will not be with God. I'm not going to die and go to heaven. But as long as I'm in this body, I'm confined to the things that this world brings. But then he says in verse 7, for we walk by what? Faith and not by sight. 
In other words, he's saying, the only way I can endure this life confined to this body in this corrupt world in which I live, I've got to live not by the circumstances around me and focusing on them. I've got to live a life of faith. In other words, he said, I've got to reach into the future, grab eternal life, and bring it back to my present reality. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Gospel of Thanksgiving. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. I'm going to take a moment and just recommend that you breathe. Now, there are all kinds of breathing techniques that you can use. One is count to 10, you know, breathing in, count to 10, breathing out, kind of hold it in the middle, you know, breathing in His grace and breathing out His praise. Whatever you choose, breath is really important. And this time of year, you know, you may have a cold or you may have the flu and it's restricting your breathing. So you know just how important that is. God has given you that breath. In Acts, Paul wrote this, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. And so take a moment and take a deep breath and stay encouraged. To get more encouraging content, go to WGTS919.com. This is Simple Truths for Life, and there are times when it doesn't appear there's anything to be grateful for. Yet, Scripture tells us to be grateful in all circumstances. Charles Tapp continues his examination of what God really expects as he shares his message, the gospel of thanksgiving. And here's the challenge for all of us as believers. And yes, it is a challenge. We have got to stop living by sight and start living by faith. Oh, I know that's hard. Because we live in these human bodies that have these five senses. And every time something happens, it impacts one of those senses. But Paul is not giving admonition to the world. He's giving admonition to the body of Christ. Recently, I read something that psychologists refers to as the hedonic treadmill, which basically says a person lives his or her life in search of their happiness by saying things like, if I only had. Well, I'll be happy if I only had this, or I would be happy if I only had that. Well, what would really make me happy and put me in a a space of thankfulness if I only had this. But here's what psychologists have discovered, that once you and I receive those things that we thought were gonna make us happy, once we've had them for a while, we go back to our original state that we were in before we received them in the first place. And we begin to look for other things to make us happy. So if you think having that Lexus, and some of you have Lexuses, I don't have a Lexus, probably never will have a Lexus. Quite frankly, don't want a Lexus because I'm not a car person. Trust me, I'm not. My car's got a dent in the right side. It'll probably be there until Jesus comes. I'm not really a car person. If it gets me from point A to point B, from B to A, and everywhere in between, I'm fine with that. 
But if you think a Lexus is going to make you happy, according to the hedonic treadmill, and you get that Lexus, you'll be happy for a while. It still has that new car smell in it. You know, you can go to the store, the auto parts store now, and buy a can and spray it that will give you that new car smell. So if you had an old car, just go get that can of new car smell and smell and spray it throughout your car, and you can be happy. But once you've had that Lexus for a while and, you know, you get used to it, according to sociologists, they say, well, after a few months, you're driving around like you don't even have a Lexus. And then you begin to see the Rolls Royce that somebody else has. And then you begin to say, man, if I only could have a Rolls Royce, I would be happy. And this goes on and on and on again. Here's the problem that I make, many of us make. As believers, we're doing what the world does. We're looking to the things of the world to make us happy. We're looking to the things of the world to give us joy. The things in this life can only bring us temporary joy. They can only bring us temporary happiness. And then Paul points to our best example yet of what it means to be happy in all things. Look at this very familiar passage of Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to verse 24. Look at what he says. For I have received from what? The Lord, that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed did what? Took bread. And when he had given what? Thanks. He broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul was not saying that this prayer was just a regular common prayer over a meal. This word for thankfulness here in 1 Corinthians 11, it means grace. It means gift. So when Jesus was, listen, when Jesus was thanking his father for this bread that represented his body, he was thanking God for the fact that he would have to go to the cross. But he really wasn't thanking God for the cross. He was thanking God for what the cross would bring for you and for me. That's not thanking God and giving thanks for all things. That's thanking God in the midst of all things. But see, here's the challenge that I've had in looking at this. And I say it's a challenge because I, too, live my life in the flesh. And when I've come to this conclusion... Because trust me, you may be happy, you may be content, you may be celebrating this season, but there are a whole lot of people who are not celebrating this season. They are dreading this season, even within the body of Christ. So when you say be thankful in all things, uh uh-uh. Sorry. Here's what I've come to. Either Paul was lying, he was just perpetrating when he said, even while in prison, give thanks in all things. Or Paul had experienced a level and depth of his relationship with God that most of us have yet to experience. I tend to believe the latter. I tend to believe that Paul was telling the truth 
And that the reason why Paul, in the midst of all that he had to deal with, could say, give thanks in all things, is because Paul had developed a level of his relationship with God that I have yet to reach in my life. So when some of us read, give thanks in all things, we respond by saying, that doesn't make sense to give thanks in all things. One of my students, whose name I will not mention, because this is on the air and he attends Washington at Venice University. We were talking about the nature of God. And I shared with him some of the aspects of God's nature. And his response to me was, that doesn't make sense. To which I quickly responded, no, no, no. What you meant to say was, you don't understand it. See, a lot of times when we don't understand it, we just dismiss it and go, oh, that doesn't make any sense. No, what you need to say is, I'm not there yet. So I haven't experienced that, so I can't relate to that yet. And this is how I respond to what Paul is saying when he says, give thanks in all things. I have to say in my life, you know what, Paul? It makes sense, I'm sure, but I'm not there yet. But here's the thing I want to say to you today. I may not be there yet, but that's where I want to be by God's grace. I want to be able to say in the midst of whatever comes my way, I'm thanking God in all things, not for all things. And that's why my favorite book in the Bible is the book of Habakkuk. Turn to Habakkuk quickly as I end with this. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and verse 18. Look at what the prophet Habakkuk says. As he deals with the question, does God really care? For if God really cared, why doesn't he come and intervene in my situation? And in this situation, the enemies were attacking God's people and the people couldn't understand why God didn't step in and be God. Because that's what we expect God to do. We expect God to step up to the plate and be God, don't we? That's exactly what we want him to do. We want him to come in and be God. But listen to what Habakkuk says. He says, though the fig tree may not what? Blossom, nor fruit beyond the what? Vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no what? Herd in the stalls. In essence, he's saying, when things in life don't work out the way you want or anticipate. And can anybody, is anybody a witness to that today? Things in your life, listen to me, have not worked out the way you have planned, have not worked out the way you have prayed. We're just being real today. But look at his response in the midst of that situation. He says, yet I will do what? Rejoice, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. And as I say here, every communion as we close out, don't wait till the battle is over. He is saying, shout now, because he knows in the end he's going to win. And until I reach the point where Paul was able to reach, I'm not there yet. It's hard for me in the midst of some circumstances to thank God, not for the stuff, but in the midst of it. And many feel that way today. It may not be what your situation currently is, but it will be what God has done for you 
and you and I will receive later when he returns to take us home with him. Listen, and sometimes that may be all you have. So my goal and your goal should be to have that same level of experience that Paul had, the level of experience that Jeremiah talks about in Jeremiah 29, 13, when he says, you search for God and you can know him when you search for him with all your heart. So this Thanksgiving season, the gospel of Thanksgiving for the believer is not about the food. Yeah, we thank God for the food. We thank God for the fellowship. We thank God for all that. But the true gospel of Thanksgiving is when you and I, because of our relationship and journey with God, we are able to thank God in the midst of some difficult and trying times in our lives. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, the gospel of thanksgiving. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. People are not finding nurture in the house of God. They are going to other places where they can find it. One of the most important ingredients in the life of the church is the nurturing of one another. Next week, Charles Tapp shares how this helps a community of believers thrive with his message, The Nutrition of Nurture. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.